Welcome once again to Inside LAFC, the Max and Vince podcast. A lot to discuss here today. We have another very special guest. We have talked to so many guys about different leagues. Well, the Bundesliga started this weekend. Ian Joy, who covers the Bundesliga, was a former player there. Also works for New York City FC. Worth mentioning, he will join us. And we'll have a deep dive with regards to everything that happened this weekend and how things look forward. That said, we welcome in Vince, and Vince, we have a lot of news to discuss as well. Some promising, some not so promising, but maybe a silver lining there as well. Yeah, the news isn't necessarily all great, but I've never been happier because you and I got to have a conversation about actual football on the pitch, games that matter, and you can say what you will about how you feel about how the Bundesliga has come together, but it's going to be a template for the rest of the world, and I think that what they did was something – it was really a little bit special. Honestly, they, they put forth strict rules, and we talk a little bit with Ian about um, how some people broke those rules, and the Bundesliga was not willing to, to bat an eye about suspending people that, that did not follow the protocol. So they're definitely being very stringent in the way they do this, and I think that it's the best thing for, for all of us. Although, like you said, Max, it was a little weird to watch it in a close – Close stadium environment, even though you and I have seen plenty of our fair share of games without fans in a stadium. Yeah, I would also add, I don't know, I'm just looking for angles to make the viewing experience a little better. The, the evening Monday game seems a little easier to watch than the emptiness of the day games. The day games were, you know, just the sun hit, you could hear like the birds. The evening the, the, was a little more atmospheric, very little, not a lot, but I think there's things that they can certainly work with, but. I see Major League Baseball trying to take, have all this data and say, this is how we're going to do it. It's basically the Bundesliga model. So if you hear any sport, if you're a fan of NBA or MLB or MLS or NFL, remember where it started. We've got to give the Bundesliga a ton of credit because they came up with the plan. They stuck to it, as you said, and they executed it. And here we are. This is the biggest, one of the biggest team sporting events of all time because it was the return of the pandemic. And it's one thing for a boxing game or some tennis, but this is team sports. This is, they had 300 people come in to the stadium and they all had to be tested rigorously and they pulled it off for now. We'll see what happens in the weeks ahead, but very promising start. Yeah. And I don't want to, I know you've got a piece of news that you want to share about California and and sports events. And I want to step on that too much, but I think one of the curious aspects of comparing (laughs) Bundesliga to MLB or anyone else is, they were able to do it at all their own stadiums. And I know that Germany is one unified country and there's not different regulations between the different cities um, so much. Um, so that changes things, but it shows that maybe this whole idea of having to go to Orlando or having to go to one set spot, you don't necessarily need to do it if you do things in the right way. Right. So there was this discussion how as much or as little as you know, and I don't think anyone knows a lot about getting the MLS teams playing a tournament in June it's like a standalone tournament and then kind of get into the season that was due in part because of restrictions in Canada. And those restrictions remain restrictions, obviously in New York, uh, New Jersey, where there's MLS franchises and restrictions in California, where there are three MLS franchises. Am I forgetting someone? Those three soon to be four. Yep. So with the information there, I, I, and I know this, I'm just, guessing or taking very educated guesses here because of those restrictions. That's why this Orlando plan was in place. Lo and behold, Monday morning, I turn on the TV. I try to limit the news. I'm glad I tuned in governor Cuomo saying he wants the Buffalo bills back. He wants to see sports. I was like, Whoa, I haven't heard him say that. Well, and as person ever <laughs> say they want the Buffalo bills back. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was a tweet. I sent it to my friend, Kevin Connors at ESPN as a Bills fan. I go, dude, you got to be thrilled. He mentioned the Bills. Is that, shade? The- is that that's shade at the Jets and Giants, right? Because yeah. they technically no. play in Jersey? Possibly. Possibly. I also thought because he's the governor and he's in Albany, which neighbor is Buffalo, that may, that's, the, that's the political thing to say. Yep. But maybe he has become a Bills fan by being in Albany because he gets to go to games. I, I would imagine there is that, you know, that, familiar aspect to it so as is the case because the governors are working together so when i heard it from new york i was like oh maybe the governor of california lo and behold he said i could this was a a big turn uh from the the addresses he had he goes i can see sports coming back in the first week of june which is two weeks yeah two three weeks let's say three weeks 
nothing's going to come back the first week of June. But the fact that he said it is encouraging that there will be maybe smaller sports. I don't know what this does for the June plan. I know you don't. We discussed this beforehand. But now there is something to give them pause in maybe doing a more traditional way where you don't have to move all these teams. Maybe you do it a regional way. There, this, I think what happened on Monday was significant and may give a new plan. Maybe not. Maybe we have this tournament in June. But maybe, say, July, you could play games in your stadium, albeit empty ones. Yeah, you and I have talked about it a lot offline. These players, they want to play. I know that they want to play. But at what point do they sacrifice their entire lives? And not, I'm not saying getting sick. I'm saying the fact that these guys might be away from their families for two months. Let's say you're a guy like Jordan Harvey and you just had a newborn baby. You're going to leave your wife with that newborn baby for two months? Uh, let's say you're Carlos Vela and you have a baby pot on the way. Um, are you going to leave your now pregnant wife alone for two months and she can't visit you because it's not safe and it breaks protocol? We have to weigh that into this. It's not, it's not necessarily just about uh, money and it's not necessarily just about being safe uh, in playing conditions. It's the fact that these guys don't want to be, it, it's a scary moment for a lot of people. Why would you want to be away from your family the whole time? So I think if we can get to a place where we have open states in, in the right way, um, and allow these guys to, to practice and all be on the level playing field. I think that was the biggest regard for MLS was getting the level playing field. Cause like you said, there's still teams that are showing up to their first day of training uh, or individual workouts. They're not even training. We're not even at that point yet. So I think it is, it is a big deal that these States are now allowing that. And I think the more MLS sees that, the more they might find a plan where look, it, it, maybe it's not every single venue, but maybe we're talking about four or five now. And we're not talking about players having to spend two months away from their families and do things like that. The one bright side of the tournament that I saw is one, it would be a good way for them to get fit. Um, it would be competitive because we don't think that there's going to be much of an open cup this year, although they are still working on ways to modify that. But it's a way to incentivize teams because maybe that open cup slot is now for the CONCACAF Champions League is now available that's kind of a cool thing. And, and we talked with Tenorio about it. We talked with Gab Mercati about it. MLS is perfectly placed to do some interesting things that are different. And I think you can't throw anything like that out. You got to be open to all that. Cause like you said, no matter what happens this season, it's always going to be remembered. Even if we play, let's say we play all the rest of the games, we have playoffs. We're still only going to remember it for one thing. And that's what's (laughs) going on right now. For sure. You mentioned the Harvey and Vela situation, and there's more. I was reading this article on The Athletic from Felipe Cardenas, and you have these international players who've already left their family, and they're checking with their family. He mentioned Fernando Mesa of Atlanta United. He's checking with his wife and kids who are in Argentina. In Argentina, they're practically not leaving home. It's a psychological burden. Some of these uh, international players are here or just arrived and they have their family. And now you're telling them to leave. The list is long, which makes it very complicated to do what they say in June. But, you know, and it was all 26 teams and they have to get the training in, which if they're going to do it in June, they have to start training pretty, pretty extensively now. Other stuff that's happening, and this was uh, obviously the big one, not unexpected, we could see this coming with all the news, starting with the potential cancellation of the art of the Mexican Liga MX Clausura, and with the, the fact that you need MLS and Liga MX calendar to click in. Eventually, knew we were going to hear that the 2020 MLS All Star Game in LA has been canceled. Canceled is a very strong word, Vince. But the, good, the, the news is that they will make them whole and do it in 2021, which you know, gives you another year. This is going to be a big party. But no one, you know what, to, to have the All-Star game, and we'll get into some of the reasons why, but to have the All-Star game July 29th after all of this, exactly what you just said, that's all we'll be thinking about, will really take away from the celebration. And there's reasons they did this, but do you, when you look at it, would you rather have that All-Star game here? And this was, this was going to be a defining All-Star game. This could change the all-star game forever and, and affirm relationships between the two leagues. Or would you rather have it next year with hopefully COVID-19 uh, further in the rearview mirror and we're, uh, we're playing a game with less uh, sidebars, with less subplots. It's about the game. Yeah, all-star games aren't about caveats, right? You want it to be a special yeah. moment. And I think this is the right call because 
the first all-star game back, like you said, hopefully with things in the rearview mirror is going to be something special. And this is a monumental, this is the all-star game we've wanted for how long, for so long. Uh, and I don't think we can rush to it. I mean, look at it's two months away. Who's even an all-star right now? We don't even know. <laughs> it's <laughs> and then and then Liga MX and Liga MX. You, like you said, it's not it's not confirmed yet, but it seems a growing a number of people are saying that the the rest of this Clausura season is going to be canceled. Now, the one thing that we haven't even gotten into yet, and I know a lot of people keep asking about it because I see it all the time when you and I are on Instagram Live. When are we playing Cruz Azul? What's going on with the CONCACAF Champions League? And all we can tell you is they're still in discussions. There's been no talk about canceling. There hasn't really been any talk at all, to be honest. And I think they're just trying their best to get the domestic seasons going before they even consider yeah. champ, the Champions League. And I think that goes for us as well as in Europe. I mean, have you, you haven't even heard much talk about the UEFA Champions League. No. But I'll tell you what, if they do it in July or August, uh, I, I'm, I'm locking in Bayern Munich as your champion. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Leipzig. <laughs> I just finished down my all-star ballot. What are you talking about, Vince? I have it here. I was going to send it in. You got any, you got any shockers? Any? any uh, no, any it's a lot of LAFC players. You know, I mean, you, know you know who'd be on that all? Who should be on that all-star ballot if we want? We want to do some really weird, like alternate universe. Dan Yakovic. <laughs> you know who would be on the? You know who would be on it? Which would probably drive people crazy, but it's the way it is. You can bet your bottom dollar Chicharito is going to be on it, despite the fact he's played. Well, we, games know, we know how a few few of these all-star things go. I mean, last year, Edward Atuesta, easily an all-star, doesn't make the team. Eddie Segura, not even on the ballot. I mean, these are, remember, the all-star game is about a little bit about selling tickets, a little about people in the seat. So, yeah, you want And to I'm see fine them. with that, by the way. I want, I want the biggest stars there. Would you, yeah, would you play League MX all-stars and, and tell Chicharito, no, you can stay home. No, yeah. come on. And I hope League MX are putting their biggest all-stars too because it's, it's not an exact science. There's some guys that had good seasons. You want to make them whole, and generally they get some of those guys, not all. Let's quickly roll through what the reasoning, and you touched on some of it, but MLS is looking to clear their calendar as much as possible. So that's why all-star game, uh, the U.S. Open Cup potentially. Uh, also canceled for 2020, the Campiones Cup, and the – what's the other one I'm, I'm forgetting? Elite. League's yeah. Cup. The League's, League's Cup. Cup. Yeah, League's Cup. So those are all for 2020. And those are all developing into good competitions. I was looking forward to it. I remember the Campeones Cup last year. It was, it was a good one, Atlanta and America. So they want to clear the calendar. Obviously, the, uh, the, not having the, the, uh, the locked-in situation with Mexico even makes it more of a no-brainer. Other stuff is going to get absorbed there in July and either be moved. It's not postponed, but you want it to be in the middle of the season. So you don't, this is a, this was something that they obviously had to do. Once you look into the, the fine print and everything about it, you can see why it's just something not, not to be missed or worried about. Just build the enthusiasm for next July where it's hopefully goes on uh, bigger and better. And you got to have the dates. You physically literally have to have the dates in, in all these st stadiums because Without it, you can't do it. There's the concern with fixture congestion. But there's just a lot of things that go on in these stadiums. We know at Bank of California Stadium, I mean, we've been talking about the amount of concerts that have been now pushed into 2021. It looks like 2021 is going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, is going to be a, a, just an amazing year for music and soccer at Bank of California Stadium between the All-Star Game, LAFC being back, and then all the concerts that were moving around. But, yeah, you just don't, you don't have the dates, and you got to you know, take a place like Atlanta. They have a football team that is also there. You can't just, you don't just have free reign of the building. So they have to work with a lot of different uh, stakeholders in this situation. And that's why certain things kind of got to get pushed. And I'm with you. I, I, I like the little mini competitions against League MX, but if it's not there, again, you just, it, it's not worth it pushing it just to push it. Yeah. Don't be discouraged. This is still coming to LA. That's the good news. And they can ramp this up to an even bigger party. And look, people are, people are struggling and, Again, for all the reasons we told you, uh, to do that in July would, would not have that impact. So we knew this was coming. Obviously, the good news we heard from uh, several governors as well, uh, optimism that, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone and your ear to the floor, whatever they say, and kind of see what's happening because it's starting to move a little quicker, and I think we'll, we'll see some developments. But all in all, training, guys are getting, guys getting after it for LAFC and throughout Major League Soccer as well. That's another uh, thing that's been developing. Yeah, it's funny that it's interesting because it, within the title of it, it's individual voluntary training. Uh, 
look, they're all voluntarily going there, but I guarantee you every single guy wants to go to their training facility and train and at least see their friends, see their teammates. I, I, I just remember that first day they were back and we got a couple of interviews back from Mark Anthony K, Tristan Blackman, Chiki Palacios, Edward Atuesta, and the smiles on their faces and just, they, it was almost indescribable for them because they couldn't, there was nothing like this they could ever compare it to. The best analogy Tristan Blackman had was uh, being able to train with his high school team in the summer when you, when you could kind of get back and get together with the guys and yeah, you can't do much, but you can do some conditioning and just how happy you are just to be back with, with the guys, even though you're, you're running alone and you're just doing a lot of fitness work. Um, I think that that's a great thing. And, and now that we're seeing more and more teams open to it, it's just going to level that playing field and it gets us, it's, it's all incremental baby steps, just like it was with the Bundesliga. We just got to keep moving forward. And as each step gets checked off the box, we get that much closer. All right, so we discussed that. I think we should, we'll, we'll take a break here and then we'll get into a, a very cool conversation with a guy who knows it all about the Bundesliga, Ian Joy. That'll be coming up next here on Inside LSC, the Max, the Max and Vince podcast. <laughs> Inside LAFC, the Max and Vince podcast, as we give you all the information about LAFC and the club. We've been doing uh, uh, yeoman's work to keep you alert to what's happening around the world because it all applies to what happens with us. So with that, we bring in a friend of the club, a former plus one on multiple occasions, the one and only Ian Joy, former Bundesliga player, former uh, good all-around U.S. stud. And you know what I mean? And Ian, also part of the, the Bundesliga coverage and with NYCFC. So we're going to talk about it because it must have, you must have been thrilled with the closeness you've had to the Bundesliga to see games like we, were, we, we all were this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely thrilled to, to have games back. Um, I was a little wary. I was a little hesitant about the timing of it coming back, being the first league back. I was a little worried um, that the players were being thrown in at the deep end. Um, but the Bundesliga did an excellent job of putting protocols, rules, and regulations into place. And the amount of discipline it took to pull it off was quite incredible. And forgetting the, the quality of the games or the results, the fact that they got all nine games off um, was superb. And, and I really enjoyed seeing competitive team sports back. And for me, it was a great feeling. I wish we had done some broadcasting at Fox for it because I was so excited for it. But it wasn't to be in... Um, I was excited regardless as a fan of the game to see a bike. Well, Ian, I would say that I wish you had it too because as I know when they do the world feed, it's very German and they do a great job, but it loses a little in translation because you want it to be for an American audience. So yeah. I missed you guys on there and the little touches with the studio because uh, for all of soccer, I think it has to be very specific to your audience. It helps because if people hear something or see something that they're not familiar with, they generally change the channel if they're new. That's just one man's opinion. Yeah. Uh, I will add real quickly, I want to go in chronological order. Sorry about that, Vince. But everything went well with the protocol. I wondered what, what you thought about a couple things that happened that may have put the protocol in uh, some peril. And that was uh, Heiko Herlich mm -hmm. leaving quarantine to get toothpaste. And then the <laughs> Hertha Berlin players celebrating you know, very in close quarters after they scored their goals. There are two things in the protocol. I mean, how serious should those, those little episodes be that could take away from the big picture if everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing? It could have been very risky. I think, you know, the Heiko Herlich situation was just a complete lack of discipline from a man who probably needs to show it most. I mean, he's the head coach of a team. So for someone to forget in the manner that he did do for something so little in his life, you know, I, I think it was really unfair on what the Bundesliga and the, the DFL had basically put into place. He, he put it all into jeopardy because yeah. of and that. Just, sorry, sorry, Ian, just a preface. He left his thing to get some toothpaste, just for people who may not be aware. Because yeah. uh, I don't think I made that clear. I'll, I'll make it clear for you. Yeah. So he decided <laughs> in the hotel that he needed to go get some hand cream and toothpaste and he left the team quarantined hotel to go to a store. He went to a local store, picked up some toothpaste and hand cream and came back to the hotel and never thought once that it was, uh, um, it was going to be frowned upon or that 
he was doing the wrong. He just didn't think. And when he realized what he had done, he had immediately informed the club. They made a press conference and he was then suspended for actually being a part of the team's game that weekend. That would have been his first game in charge at Augsburg. He hadn't even oh. taken charge of a game yet. It would have been his first game. And um, because of the protocol, he, um, he got suspended for that game that weekend. He did take two tests, which he tested po uh, negative for, so he was fine. There was nothing there. However, he did get punished and he had to sit on the sidelines. So that was, that was a little strange, and it certainly put a lot into jeopardy um, with it being so close to the match days. And the DFL, the, the Bundesliga, they didn't need that. Um, but it takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, you have players who are living their lives away from um, training facilities or, or uh, games and they're doing what they want to do, but it's not just the players. When you get close to match day, what they did do, the Bundesliga is put the teams into quarantine into a hotel for seven days. And that's understandable. But it's all the other people who come inside the stadium as well. There's 322 people that were allowed inside a Bundesliga stadium. And those guys all have to have the same respect, discipline, follow the rules. And if they don't, if one of them slips up and catches this, it puts it all into jeopardy. So... It took a tremendous effort, and I think the Hertha Berlin thing was uh, was a little bit of lack of respect, more than anything else from uh, Kalu. Oh. But uh, the Heiko Herley thing was something he just forgot about, and it was it was stupid more than anything else. So it's unfortunate, but they got through it, Max, and they, they did got it pretty well. You know, I'm wondering. You know, my experience with this, the days and hours leading up to it, it felt a little bit like Y2K. If you remember that, we were all like, you know, <laughs> at this zero hour, something's going to happen. We don't know what it is, but something's going to happen. I'm wondering what your emotions were like leading up to it because I felt like at any moment we could find out, okay, it's, it's all off. But then when it happened, it was like, yeah, there's no fans in the stands, but it was football. It was exactly what we wanted. And it was, like I said, it's kind of like Y2K. Either something big's going to happen or nothing's going to happen. It's just going to move forward and life just kind of move forward. But where were your emotions leading up to that morning? Yeah, it certainly took a minute for me to really get interested in the games because my immediate reaction was building up to a, a derby game. Of course, the first game that was on Fox Sports 1 was uh, Borussia Dortmund and Schalke, normally played in front of 80,000 fans at both stadiums. Normally, the atmosphere outweighs uh, the talent on display for the opening 20, 30 minutes of a game, and um, you feel the pressure. But when I switched on the broadcast and I realized, oh, wow, there's nobody in attendance, and that means nobody in attendance. It was very strange for me. Um, the Bundesliga is normally sold out every single stadium. So you, you don't really see an empty seat. So to see every single seat completely empty, it hit me pretty hard. And it was a realization that this is a different time that we're living in right now. And what we've gone through is right there and clearly evident for us all to see. But I agree with you, Vince. I think once the ball started to roll, start to get back into the game and you start to feel it. It must have been weird for those players. I can't even imagine. You know, I've played in an, enough reserve games or friendly games or preseason games with no supporters to tell you that it's very difficult to play 100% in those games and have all your teammates be 100% focused as well. Um, but I thought the players did a great job. After about 20, 30 minutes, the quality started to raise to another level and um, that feeling of, wow, I, I, I truly am a soccer fan and and that's what I care about most, was really there. And, and I was so happy to see it back. Well, if you wanted to feel any more normal, obviously, if we want to get right into the games, Haaland scoring, this, this just back to normal, right? If he's scoring, it means we're all back to normal because that's just what he does. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted... I, wanted the, I was kind of worried about... Go ahead. I was worried about where their fitness levels would be. Mm -hmm. you know, like These guys have been told to stay at home for six to eight weeks. Then they came back into practice, and when they were in practice, it was groups of ones and twos and fours and eights, then competitive with the team. Um, it, was, uh, it was really interesting to me to see the fitness level. Some players were pretty much buying on. The majority of players were not quite there match fitness, but that will come back over time. So I was really intrigued. And, and like you say, when Haaland scores goals like that, he's business as usual. When the... What I, I was with you, I felt, you know, it, seem, it seems like a, a, a game to start a season, right? Those first few games, you're always getting your legs underneath you a little bit. Those games are a little tricky. But what was glaringly obvious to me was some teams still had that, that extra quality, whether, you know, whether it's Dortmund with, I mean, the guy that stuck out to me was Julian Brandt, mm -hmm. uh, his movement, and then just the understanding. It was still there. It's, it's amazing that after, 
you know, six to eight weeks of layoffs that, that those guys like Julian Brandt, uh, Hazard, who wasn't even supposed to start the match, uh, that movement for that goal for Holland. I mean, that, that was a beautiful thing. What, what was your take on kind of the way team, certain teams seem to be on top of things? Is that just a, a product of how good their team spirit is in general, just over the course of an entire season? Yeah, and you have to think that maybe the break benefited some teams as well. You know, for Borussia Dortmund, it looked like they were going to lose the title and Bayern Munich were going to cruise to, to a championship. So for them now to take a break, to rejuvenate, to refresh and then go again, I think you recognize that with this display. I mean, these players are very professional. They're also very young. They have a young squad of players. There's a bit of experience mixed in there. But some of the individual performances from players that I didn't quite expect, Julian Brand being one of them, was outstanding. Um, The whole team performance was interesting. Borussia Dortmund, um, they played some great stuff. I thought Rafa Guerrero on the the left-hand side was outstanding for Dortmund, and he's continued that throughout the season. But for a player, as you mentioned, Nervens, Julian Brandt, he's a player who's kind of struggled at times at Borussia Dortmund. Struggled fitting into the system, struggled getting into the starting 11. And um, I thought he took a chance at the weekend there. I thought he was absolutely outstanding and, and probably was the best player on the pitch. So the team's performance overall was pretty excellent. Um, Schalke was, was miserable. I, I was really disappointed with yeah. them. Um, I wasn't overly thrilled with Weston McKinney's performance either. Um, defensively, they were a disaster. So, you know, good and bad, right? You've seen the quality and the professionalism of Borussia Dortmund shine through. Even though they're missing some big players, no Witzel, no Royce, you know, big, big players were missing out. Um, but they got the job done pretty easily. They made it look easy. And Schalke on the other end showed that they're a team that are still pretty much struggling. And fitness levels could have come into it, but I think it was a, a struggle for them not having the supporters there and not having the atmosphere and not having something to feed off. Whereas if you remember the derbies um, at the Westfalenstadion in Dortmund recent years, it's been very close, and Schalke have got some favorable results there. This time, it was a one-horse race, so they were uh, torn to pieces. Schalke were terrible, Ian. I was like, because I, I, I don't watch as much Bundesliga as I used to. That's going to change over the next month and a half, because I'm going to be watching. Uh, I'm going to watch everything. I can't wait till Friday. We have the Berlin Derby. I'm all in, but Schalke was really disappointing. But do you think it's the eyeballs of the world? This is a team sport. So what do like say Major League Soccer, just hypothetically, or the NBA or Major League Baseball take away from what they saw? I would add, you mentioned the fitness. They were allowed five substitutes, and there was one game where there were 10 subs. I think it was curled mines where 10 substitutes were used. <laughs> Some people would say the officiating's better because you don't have home fans uh, pulling at the refs, and maybe they have a clearer mind, but I think refs are better than that. But all in all, what, what are the, the, the things that we can take away? And as a follow-up question, how much better do you think it's going to get as we get into the second game back, third game back? Well, the first part, I think the, 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 the clear stat that stands out to me more than anything is nine games that took place at the weekend, only one home team won. So wow. you have to recognize that the home advantage was clearly not there anymore. Um, not having supporters inside your own stadium. Um, and, and of course, you could look upon the fact that you know, you're playing against quality sides and where their table position is. But there were so some very surprising results there. And I didn't see much home advantage at all. So that was the, the blaring stat that stood out to me more than anything. You know, I thought the quality level was, was okay. It wasn't great. It could have been a lot better, but fitness will certainly help that as time goes along, Max. But I think other leagues watching in will have been looking at the small details about how this went down. Watching people around the field wearing a mask. Um, how many substitutes are now allowed in the Bundesliga? You know, what did the referees do? You didn't see many referees. And I'm, I can't even remember one referee who actually went over to look at a video review. I can't remember which one. I know the one at Union Berlin was a, by Munich. Yeah, but he didn't, go to the, he didn't go to the review it. He just got it through the, the, go. uh, the AV. Right. So, you know, maybe they're told to not go to the sidelines. Maybe that's a restriction now. Um, I was really surprised and, and taken aback by how disciplined everyone was from staying apart, the celebrations, how they stayed apart from one another, even though there was maybe two or three teams that still did the high fives and, and the hugs. Um, overall, I thought it was a, a tremendous effort from the Bundesliga and 
not just soccer around the world will be watching that. It will be different sports watching what happened in Germany, learning from their rules and, and what they put into place to get these games underway. You know, I'm intrigued to see what happens over this week now because all of those people went inside that stadium. They've now all gone away. What happens next week? They do another set of testing. So there's two tests that will go on for players and for, for officials and also for people who will be allowed inside the stadium. They'll get tests again the night before games and the results will come the morning of games. And I'm interested to see if coming the next match day we see another positive test because that will be determined by how disciplined people have been going away from that stadium and then coming back. So the small print is what I think other leagues will be looking at more than the performance. The performance was always going to suffer, Max. You know, these players have been sent at home. They've been doing workouts in their bedroom. I mean, it's inevitable when you can't kick a ball and you can't compete with your teammates. I mean, they're only given 10 days to practice with their teammates. It's Amazing. No chance that was going to be uh, of the highest level. I know it's probably nearly impossible for you to actually put yourself in that headspace, but you were a player and I know some coaches will tell the, the starting 11, maybe the night before, maybe even the week before, and some even wait till that morning. But if you're a player that gets tested that night and then that morning, you're going to find out one, are you in the starting 11? Are you in the team? And two, can you even play? Can you even kind of put yourself in that mindset? What would be going through your head in that, in that quarantine environment, trying to think that through? How do you practice? How do you prepare? That's the question for these teams now. You know, I think Borussia Dortmund was a great example of what could happen last minute because Gio Reyna was expected to start that game and he didn't start that game. He, he pulled up with an injury moments before in the warm-up and then uh, Torgan Hazard got the start. So his performance was outstanding, by the way. Um, I think that the mindset for players is they want to play. You know, I heard so much about players wanting and not wanting to take a pay cut. I've heard uh, obviously what's happening in, with baseball right now, what's happening in the, the Premier League and, and other sports with players' unions, and also Major League Soccer as well. It's a touchy subject and it's, it's one that we all always have to keep our eye on of how this plays out. But there's no doubt at the back of my mind as a player, I'm thinking more about playing the game at this moment in time than I am thinking about what money I'm going to be bringing in. And, and that's fair to say for someone who's earning a decent salary. For players who are earning 11, it's unfair to say. Um, and those are the ones that we have to protect most. So I don't think it needs to be an equal share. I think it needs to be something that's worked out where everybody wins in this. Because at the end of the day, sports has to come back. Sports have to come back for franchises to survive, for leagues to survive the way they were. And that's exactly why the Bundesliga went, went ahead this weekend. They needed to protect the Bundesliga like we all know it, like we all love it, and to protect their future. And I totally respect that. Even though I don't agree with how quick it happened and uh, certain regulations that were in place, um, I think that w as players, you've got to respect uh, the union. You've got to respect the agreement with the leagues. And you've got to realize that the bigger picture is what's important right now for sports. It's not about just your, your salary. At the moment, it's about survival mode. So if I'm a player in this position, Vince, I'm going in there and I'm thinking, let's get me back out on that field as quickly as I possibly can so that I can give my fans something to entertain with. I have to admit, uh, in dipping my toe in this, I don't know as much about it as I do. And, and you can pass on this question if, if it's uh, something kind of too nuanced or too weird. But the, the Bundesliga with the, the 50 plus one and, and kind of fans being a part of the ownership, how does that play into it? I, I saw somebody kind of talk a little bit about it, but I couldn't, again, it, it was hard to kind of dip my toe into it just out of the blue. Can you explain, for people that don't know, explain what it is, one, for fans kind of being a part of the ownership, but you, you made a good point. Yeah. These fans got to have teams to come back to, and this, is, this was an important part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, right now in the Bundesliga, there, there are uh, only a couple of teams that have ownerships, and that's uh, Hoffenheim and uh, Leipzig, and Leipzig run by Red Bull, and obviously Hoffenheim is run by a, a tremendous owner who's got <laughs> criticized heavily over the recent years for his involvement in uh, spending money to try and win championships or build a team. Um, and I think that the 51 plus... Uh, 50 plus one rule is it's tremendously important to the supporters groups in protecting the game as they know it in Germany. So there cannot be a single individual that owns these teams. Um, basically what happens is, is the 50 plus one is that 
the supporters are, are the ones who get the final vote. So they will vote in a president of a club. And if you were to take my team in particular, FC St. Pauli, you have a, um, every year you'll have a get-together where they will vote um, who the president will be for the, the four coming years. You know, it could be two or three years. It could be four-year run, whatever the president will, um, will want to run for. Um, and then he has to do another election again if he wants to stay in longer. So it, it's a tremendous way for fans to get involved in their club, to have the final say in their club. Um, it doesn't always work because supporters groups can disagree with one another, um, even inside the, the, the same club. But at the same time, for me, it is, um, it's a tremendously important way to keep teams as we love them. Um, it's different around Europe. You have in the Premier League ownerships and, and now you have foreign owner groups that are investing so much money in and potentially buying themselves into championships or Champions Leagues. And I think that's what Red Bull are doing with Leipzig. They're, they want to compete in the Champions League, which they are doing this year. Um, and they're, they're spending money to do that. But they also bring a lot to the German game. So I can see the positives from both sides. But the 50 plus one is the side I lean towards because the fans are why, why we play this game. And for Germany to continue that tradition on, I respect it. I love it. I never recognized the difference when I was playing in Germany. We had a president and he was the main man in charge. So as far as I was concerned, he made all the decisions that went on within the club. And it's very similar to what you would have with an ownership group. But he also has to prove to his supporters that, you know, listen, I'm the guy to lead this club in the right direction. So what their impact has been, Vince, has been quite interesting because They've sat back, they've respected that the virus has taken place and that the DFL has had a plan in place to try and protect clubs financially and make sure that there is longevity because there are some teams in the top flight, Schalke, uh, Paderborn, a few other teams who have come out and said financially, if we don't get things back to normal, we're going to really struggle. And um, the, the supporters have stood by the DFL, which doesn't normally happen. So we yeah. Max is having a little computer problems. He's trying to restart and get back in. So we'll try, we'll try to keep it running and, uh, with Max in between. Um, getting back to the play on the pitch, for you, bigger uh, – disappointment's a weird word in this setting because of uh, you know, how strange it is. But bigger problem for, for a side, Schalke, they're lost to Dortmund. Uh, you, like you said, it's a rivalry match with no players, so you've got to give them some concessions in that. Or Leipzig. Uh, at a draw in, in the title race for you, what's, what's going to have a bigger impact? Well, losing a derby is huge because it affects your supporters. Um, but without the fans in attendance, the supporters certainly didn't let their feelings known. Um, however, I know in social media and around, the, the players will be feeling it. Um, I, I'm actually more disappointed with Leipzig because I was hoping there was going to be that three-horse race. And I thought Leipzig were the team that could really compete all the way to the end. Um, but they've sort of let themselves down towards the end of the campaign before the, the break, the pause that we had, they were in poor form and that poor form has sort of continued into this game against Freiburg. They had the chances to win that game by five or six. They just didn't take them. So whether it's match sharpness, whether it's a lack of concentration, whether it's a lack of quality, when it mattered most, Leipzig let themselves down. And I think that's the biggest loss there because now it gave Gladbach an opportunity to leapfrog them into third place um, and there's a real battle on now for, for Leipzig uh, because Leverkusen are not far behind them after their big win against Werder Bremen. So the biggest results this weekend, Leipzig's disappointment was certainly the one that, that topped it, along with, I would say, Werder Bremen losing. You know, that game against Leverkusen on Monday night was, was really disappointing. Werder Bremen have got a game in hand, so they've played one game less than everybody else. But they're sitting second bottom of the table, and that game against Leverkusen was a game that they had to get points in, even if they got one point in to give them a chance. With Dusseldorf dropping points against Paderborn, it was a moment where they really needed to step up. And I really worry about the quality of their squad and the quality of the coach going forward. So those are the two big story points that came out of the Bundesliga for me this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Leverkusen's now, like you said, they're, they're in that race for fourth. Leipzig probably never thought they would be, be doing that. Uh, the big talking point from that Leverkusen game is obviously Kai Havertz. Uh, if you're somebody that has followed the Bundesliga, you definitely know who he is. And I think he's starting to get a little bit of a bigger name in world football. But can you tell us a little bit about the 20-year-old the Kai Havertz? 
And my big question to you is, he started as like an out-and-out striker in this match. What's his best position? Um, this is a great player, first and foremost, because his story is, is incredible. This is a kid who had to get permission from his school teachers to make his Bundesliga debut because he was going through his main exams in Germany. And um, they gave him permission to, to skip the exam and to do it at a later date so that he could make his debut for Leverkusen, which is quite incredible. Young boy, um, very raw-looking boy, but his play has been simply outstanding since he's come on to the, to the field. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of Michael Ballack, the way he plays. Um, very, very good in the air, as you witnessed against Werder Bremen. Uh, very good technically with the ball at his feet. He can create a chance from nothing. He's got a vision that is second to none as well in the Bundesliga. Um, he, he's obviously a player that flies under the radar because he's playing at Leverkusen. Uh, he's playing in the Bundesliga. And they struggle in European competition, and he doesn't necessarily, they don't necessarily get the recognition that they deserve. Um, but you know, he's still only 20 years old, this kid, and he's already played over 150 games, something like that, 150 games for Leverkusen in all competitions at 20 years old. So he's got experience. He's rarely injured. Um, so this kid has the potential to go to the very top. Heading ability, passing ability, vision, creativity. Um, he's reasonably quick as well. Um, I'd like to see him, and, and this is just a very harsh criticism, I'd like to see him just be a little bit more confident in the big games, you know, against the Bayern Munichs, against the Borussia Dortmunds, in derbies against, you know, Schalke or Gladbach, Cologne, whoever it may be. I'd like to see him step up and take whole control of that game. Because I think if he does that, you know, he could really elevate himself to the next level a lot quicker than he will do. He'll be involved in the German national team going forward. And I think it's... Um, it's right that his name has been linked with some of the top clubs in the world, but this kid is absolutely, in my opinion, destined to go to Bayern Munich because he plays that way. They love him. He's German, and it just fits. I had a little – this is Max again. I had some technical difficulties, <laughs> but Max I was enjoying the conversation with you. And I will say this about Havertz, Havertz too. He, uh, he basically gave Werder Bremen their walking orders to the second division. Hope you enjoyed that. Because look, by the time all this is wrapped up, we're going to have a lot of answers. And they're, they're going to have another game this weekend and then a midweek round and then another game. And they're going to have all these games under their belts before anyone comes back to, to action. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, uh, it's, it's really sad what's happening at Werder Bremen. They're a massive club and they're a club that have struggled for a long time now. And um, they've avoided relegation for a while. But this year, I think they're struggling big time. And even though they have that game in hand, like I told you a moment ago, Vince, I think that their schedule coming up, they play at Gladbach. And then they, uh, are they playing at Gladbach? No, I'm not sure where they're playing. They've got like, they've got like three big games coming up in the, in the near future of Eda Bremen, where I think that they're, they're games that they can't win. They're, they're a team that will struggle on the road because they don't have the confidence. I think they're a team that will struggle at home because obviously now they're playing in front of no fans. Here's their list now. They play Leverkusen, obviously. They played uh, Freiburg away, which is a tough game. They just got a result against Leipzig. And then they play Gladbach before they play Schalke and then Eintracht Frankfurt. I don't see Werder Bremen winning any of those games. That's the crazy thing to say. And I feel for Josh Sargent in this whole situation because he's in the deep end there. But I will mm -hmm. tell you this, though, and it's sad to say, Josh Sargent might benefit from going to the second division with Werder Bremen because he's the player that needs confidence right now. If they stay in the top flight, I think they spend money and they replace Josh Sargent or his time will then be limited. So as a young boy, I would really hope that Josh Sargent can find himself uh, in the second division, scoring goals, and then have a go again at the Bundesliga when he's got a bit more experience and goals behind him. Well, for, for people that don't, know the the second you know second Bundesliga division what what is it like I mean obviously we, we know a little bit about the championship in England uh, it's a slug it out you know just you got to go for it and there's so many games can you tell us a little bit about how he would benefit from that second division yeah well I think you only have to look at the success that Bobby Wood had in the second division to realize uh, that this is a level that is a step down from the top flight clearly um, it's a level where it's it's a fight more than it is uh, about quality but they rely heavily on goal scorers. And if you have a goal scorer, you have a chance of winning that league or at least a chance of getting into the playoff position uh, to get into the top flight. It is um, another league that's packed with uh, attendance. Every single stadium is full. Um, when you're traveling, it's, it's 
some of the best atmospheres you'll experience because the hardcore fans, in my opinion, you'll really find, of course, are in the second division. You know, some of these teams are have come up from amateur level status all the way up to the second division. Um, and at my time, you know, playing in the second Bundesliga at St. Pauli, it was some of the best experiences of my life because every single game was a, was a cup final because you wanted to try and get promotion. You wanted to try and finish in the top three to, to at least have a chance. And um, to do that, you had to almost pretty much win 75% of your games to have a chance of being in that position. Because if you think of the quality coming down from the top flight, you know, this year it could be Paderborn and Werder Bremen and probably one more. That competition next year in the second division, you've got Hamburg in there, St. Pauli in there. You'll have, of course, Werder Bremen at that time if they do get relegated. It's a very, very difficult league to come out of. But if Josh Sargent falls down into that league, it might be the best thing that happens to him because his style of play right now with a lot of young players playing in that league, his determination... Um, I think his quality will fit perfectly. There's not as much pressure on his shoulders there either. So it's a competitive league and certainly one of the most competitive leagues in the world as far as trying to get promotion goes. So it's sad to say, if Werder Bremen do get relegated, it will benefit Josh Sargent, but I think that's the case. I mean, talk about a slugfest in the second division. If those that quality of teams is all down there, I mean, like you said, it's, I I. I, I Anytime you go to the second division, it's always like that, that pit that you can continually sink into if you're not careful, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's competitive. And I must admit, like I played in the third division in Germany for a long time when I first moved over there. And it was like, it was like a fight. It was like a warrior's fight every single game. And the quality wasn't great, but you had to fight your way to a championship. And that's what we did do. When we got to the second division, it was a lot more about the quality. And then, of course, in the top flight, it's all about quality. So it's really, it's really competitive because there's so few opportunity to get promoted. And the com- competition in that league, there's a lot of money there. Like I said, sold out attendances at every game. And um, there's a great deal of expectancy if you're playing in one of those top teams. So they'll have pressure. Like the teams who go into the second division, like right now, if you look at it, Hamburg and Stuttgart, teams like that, these are huge clubs that deserve and should be in the first league. If they go down to the second division, you know, the pressure is on them tremendously, a lot more than it would be if it was a St. Pauli or someone else. So we've, we've touched now on Weston McKinney. Gio Reyna obviously pulled up with the injury. You've got, we've got a little bit of sergeant in, so we might as well just go around the horn for Americans that were, that were there. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Adams played in that 1-1 that one, one draw. Uh, and Brooks, unfortunately, had an own goal in, in his match. Tell, tell, talk a little bit about the rest of the Americans that, that played at this weekend. Well, first I'll tell you, I mean, the Bundesliga is the perfect league for these Americans to play, Vince, in my opinion. Because the Bundesliga gives young players an opportunity to play um, a lot earlier than they would get, let's say, if they played in the Premier League. And it's a high competitive level. So the fact that these players are playing week in and week out is excellent. I was really surprised, obviously, to see Gio Reyna get the nod in the starting 11 only to pull up with that injury, which is really unfortunate for him and now even more unfortunate that Hazard had a tremendous game. Um, But his time will come because he's a quality talent. Tyler Adams has struggled with injury. I was really pleased to see him in the starting 11, uh, trying to figure out his position on the right-hand side or is it tucked inside. Wasn't quite sure where he was uh, wanting to play, but he, uh, he did a great job again for Leipzig. And... He got taken off, but at the, at the end of the day, the fact is, is that Tyler Adams is a key part to Leipzig's success. When he's fit, they want to play him. Julian Nagelsmann wants to play him because he relies on that experience and professionalism that Adams brings. Such a composed player. Um, maybe lacked a little bit match fitness, which was clearly evident for most players in that Leipzig game. And, and he'll be desperately disappointed that they didn't win that game, especially to challenge for a title. Um, John Brooks, yeah, unfortunate. I thought it was a bullet header for the goal. But <laughs> yeah, not a bad finish. <laughs> it was the wrong end. Um, I thought his performance overall was very good and Wolfsburg left it late to get the three points. But uh, I'm really impressed with what John Brooks has done this season. He's not always been a favorite. He's been in and out of the team. Uh, Glasner is their coach, and he has uh, criticized John Brooks at times and taken him out of the starting 11. So Brooks has had to be patient and and keep his composure. But again, this break might have done certain players well. It looks like it gave Adams a chance to get fully healthy. It gave John Brooks a chance to win over his coach. 
Um, and again, Gio Reyna must have done some something pretty special as well for him to have been put into the starting 11 or at least um, been in contention. So Americans doing pretty well. Zach Steffen's the one I was a little disappointed with having that injury in training and uh, now missing out for a while. So he's been struggling there and it looks like he may end up leaving Dusseldorf at the end of the day. Does Bayern win it? Or did you see enough from Dortmund? Or is it, do we have a race here? Well, I've seen something from Dortmund. It tells me they've not given up. And uh, there's a chance there. If they can get Royce and Witzel back fit and healthy, they've got a real chance. Um, Bayern Munich were not at their best against Union Berlin, clearly. But they still won the game like champions do. Um, it's in their hands, Max, no doubt about it. I mean, okay. they would have won the championship had this break not taken place. Um, but it's given hope to Borussia Dortmund, I believe. I think that draw for Leipzig this week rules them out of any chance of challenging for the title because there are so few games left. Um, but Borussia Dortmund, they've got some massive games coming up. Klassiker next week um, will be huge. Um, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich. And then, of course, they have Leipzig. I think it's the second last match day of the season. So... That could be a killer game for them. They've got some big games, but Bayern Munich have got to throw it away for that to happen. They really have to throw it away, and I don't see it happening. They look good enough. So look at that. One round, Leipzig are cooked. Bremen are going to get relegated. See, it was all worthwhile, Ian. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Well, there you go. Unbelievable. Ian. Ian, you are an amazing resource. We really appreciate you joining us. This is incredible information. I know our listeners will really appreciate. We look forward to seeing and hearing all of it back again this weekend. And all the best with New York City FC. We're gonna we'll we'll be we'll be butting heads soon enough. I look forward to it. It's always great when I get a chance to to hang out with you guys. I love what you guys are doing over there. Obviously, respect. Uh, everything that the club has done as well and and giving you both a platform to do something like this for your supporters right now it's so massively important that our supporters out there no matter who they support they get content that like this that can just give them some sort of refreshment and and keep them positive thank yes you. thank you for doing what you do and Ian, i just want to preface that because we are is an lafc podcast but if you are a supporter of another club Email your club. Tell them you need this content because it's important because you want to be ready when it comes back. It's People are working hard for all of that, and every club has that built in. We just got to remind them to keep it going. But we're glad New York City's doing it. We're doing it here in L.A. Ian, as always, thank you. Inside LAFC with Max and Vince. We'll be back. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Check out all the great podcasts on the LAFC podcast platform.